At Vast National Bank, we value our billions of customers. Whether you're in Dubai or Tokyo, or just London, we care. So bank big with us. Sure, your local community bank may seem friendly and helpful. Their small business loans may even help your town grow and prosper or whatever. But would they help you liquidate an offshore account to bedazzle your private jet? <laughs> no. Bank with a community bank and help your community grow. Find yours at banklocally.org. He's kind and he's funny and he's also mustachioed. He solves all your problems by the end of every episode. TV Dad. Everyone loves TV Dad. Listen to your TV dad. Switch to Progressive and you could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Potential savings will vary. My name is Alexis, and welcome back to The Great Unsolved. So you probably heard our new intro song. I am so excited about that. We got that from a person whose username is H3XBoy on Fiverr, and he did an amazing job. I have like four different versions of that song, and he made background music for me and an outro, and he was just very personable. He communicated a lot. I sent him a few inspiration pieces, and that's what I got back, and I love it. So if you are looking for a new song for literally anything, go visit H3XBoy on Fiverr. That brings me to my next point. I have had just... it's been a week. <laughs> it's been a good... well, two weeks, I guess, because I haven't... I didn't post last week. I had a stomach bug. We're not sure if it was the flu or something, but my boyfriend got it at like 3 a.m. and I thought it was hilarious because he never gets sick and I always get sick. And then a few hours later, I got sick. So there's that. But where I'm going with this is I had some help with the research this week from Kathleen and Nash on Fiverr, and she did a great job also. Anyways, let's get into this a little more. Well, get into the episode. I don't know. For anyone who doesn't follow me on Twitter, please do so. Our username is at Great Unsolved, and my personal one is linked on there as well. I honestly don't know what my personal Twitter's name is, so you'd have to go on there to find it. Also, I ran a little poll to see what subject people would want me to start a second podcast on, and they picked missing 411 cases. So I'm staying true to my word, and I am starting a podcast about missing 411. So here is the trailer. Thank you for tuning in to the new trailer for my new podcast called Gone in an Instant. The National Park Service was set up in 1916. This aided in preserving great natural beauty all over the United States. 
Although many things were outlined and thought of when the National Park Service was established, no system was set up to track or deal with what would inevitably happen in this vast wilderness. That being people going missing. As of today, there is still no registry of missing persons in our national parks. This is primarily the reason many people don't notice how many people really go missing each year in these areas. If it is not broadcast, there is no way for people to know. Because of there being no registry, I cannot tell you the exact number of people that go missing each year from these parks, but a good estimate is about 1,600 a year. If you think about it, it isn't really shocking. There are thousands of acres of land that no one ever visits or is visited very, very rarely. There are deep caves we cannot explore, and there are predatory animals far more dangerous than ourselves. So it is plausible that all of these people either get lost, fall in, or get attacked. Then you look at the stories of others who were with these people when they disappeared. Each story often has the same line. They were right there, I looked away for a second, and they were gone. These stories take place in different parts of parks, in different parks altogether, but almost every time, the missing person seems to disappear in mere seconds. Why would these individuals get lost if they were just right near someone? How could they fall into a cave when there were none in the immediate area? And how could the witness miss an animal attack? Well, many say because none of these scenarios are what happened. Many of you are probably asking where we get the name Missing 411 from. Well, this isn't something I came up with. It is a term by David Politis, used to categorize missing persons cases in both the U.S and Canada. He has a book about it that is very informative. It will be the first thing to pop up if you Google missing 411. This is a term that many people interested in unexplainable mysteries use, and it dives into so many different things. For something to be considered a missing 411 case, it has to fit these criteria. The disappearance has to occur in a national park, rural area, or large reserve of public land. It has to have exceptionally odd circumstances surrounding this disappearance, and mental illness or voluntary disappearance does not appear to be the cause. There are theories galore on the internet, and some are definitely more plausible than others. However, none have found us any sense of closure for all the missing persons cases that take place every year in these areas. From aliens to Bigfoot to serial killers and more, this podcast will be deep diving into each and every theory in each and every case. Every Friday at 3.30 a.m., I will be presenting a new case to you with all the facts and theories, no matter how unbelievable they may be. Our first episode will come out on April 3rd, and I hope you will join me in this adventure into the unknown.
So coincidentally, I also got a complaint last week about talking for two minutes before jumping into the case, and this week we are at seven minutes. So let's just get into it. This week we are going over the case of the missing children, JJ Vallow and Tylee Ryan. sure you've heard of this case long before this podcast. It is very strongly represented in the news right now. This case has cults, mysterious deaths, but most importantly, two missing children, JJ Vallow and Tylee Ryan. I will reiterate it many times that the most important part of this case is the missing children. The trail of death that follows their mother Lori Vallow is concerning, and her inability to show the children are alive is casting a dark shadow on this case. There are a lot of names, but hopefully you will get the main and important parts of this case. Let's start off with our main character, Lori Vallow. She is 46 and is the adoptive mother of JJ Vallow and the biological mother of Tylee Ryan. She also has a son by the name of Cody Ryan, but he is, I believe, like 23 or 24, so he isn't a huge part in this case. Lori has some very radical ideologies and extreme religious beliefs. In short, she is part of a cult. A lot of podcasts are kind of like, ooh, we can't say it's a cult. We don't know. It's a cult. There's really no other description for it. And if you look into it, you will find the same thing. Lori and others in her cult believe that the world is going to end in July 2020 and that only 144,000 will be saved. Lori also believes she is a reincarnated, like, god or prophet or something who is set to lead these 144,000 people. This group is an offshoot of the LDS or Mormon Church, called Preparing a People. Their website states they are, quote, prepare the people of this earth for the second coming of Jesus, end quote. So Lori has been married five times. Well, she's on her fifth marriage with the very controversial Chad Daybell, another large name in this case, but we will get into him more later. To keep things a little more simple, I am not going to name Lori's first three husbands. I am going to give you a little facts on them, but their names aren't really important in this case. So husband number one has no real information out there. I am unsure if he is dead or alive or what happened in that relationship. Husband number two was the father of Lori's first child, Cody. Husband number three is the father of Tylee, so obviously his last name is Ryan, and he adopted Cody during their marriage as well. He died of an apparent heart attack on April 3rd, 2018. That was long after their divorce, but now people are speculating because of the trail of death that follows Lori. We are now on to Charles Vallow, husband number four. 
this is where things start to get really interesting. Charles was a successful businessman and seemingly an all-over good guy. Charles and Lori decided to adopt Charles's great-nephew, JJ, in 2013. The reasons they had the opportunity to do this are not clear, but it seems it had something to do with JJ being on the autism spectrum. Maybe his parents did not know how to care for him or did not have the time or something along those lines, but that doesn't really matter. He was still placed with, at the time, a loving and stable family. At some point, this family moved to live in Kauai, Hawaii, and Lori and Charles apparently opened what seemed to be a juice bar there. There was not a whole bunch of details on this, but from other information, I think it was a juice bar. Eventually, they moved back to the States and moved to Arizona. In February and March of 2019, Lori vanished for 58 days and no one substantially knows where she was or what she was doing. Some reports say Tylee was with her and they went to Hawaii, but it is overall unclear. Before or after she disappeared for those two months, Lori stole $36,000 out of Charles' business account. This caused him to get in legal trouble for not being able to hit payroll, and it was just a whole mess in the relationship. After this is when Charles filed for divorce and moved back to Texas while the children and Lori were in Arizona. Charles stated this in the divorce filings. He talked about Lori's extreme religious beliefs. In the documents, he claimed he wanted nothing or she wanted nothing to do with him or the children because, quote, she had a more important mission to carry out. Charles also described how she had become, quote, infatuated and obsessed with near-death experiences and spiritual visions, end quote. Charles claimed that Lori told him that she, quote, is a sealed, which means eternally married, to the ancient Book of Mormon prophet Moroni, and that she has lived numerous lives on numerous planets prior to this current life. So she is clearly in her right mind. Charles said she even threatened to kill him if he got in the way of her mission. And after stating all this, and after Lori stole $37,000, somehow Charles decided he wanted to try and work things out with Lori. So he got rid of the divorce proceedings. I will never understand that because she seems insane and he should he should have gotten out of that marriage but hindsight is 2020. So Charles was shot dead in an apparent self-defense by Lori's brother Alex Cox. We will get to more on him in a little while. At this time Charles was visiting from Texas to see the children. The police responded to a call about a shooting around 8.20 a.m. at Lori's home on July 11th, 2019. The shooting was reported to them by Lori's brother, Alex Cox. Alex said that he had been arguing with Charles when Charles tried to attack him with a baseball bat, so he shot him in the chest with his 45 caliber gun, thus killing him. 
Alex told police he shot Charles in self-defense and was never charged. The stories here vary. So one version is that Charles and Lori were fighting and Tylee grabbed a bat to get Charles away from her mother. At this point, Charles grabbed the bat and Tylee fell or he pushed her. That's unclear. But then all of a sudden, Lori was like, oh, I'm going to take JJ to school. So her, Tylee, and JJ left. But they left in Charles' rental car. Another podcast I was listening to pointed this out. And they stated, like, why would she take his rental car if she hoped things would calm down by the time they got back? Like, you would think if she was leaving, she was hoping, like, maybe Charles would leave or something along those lines. But how is he supposed to leave if you take his rental car? So that kind of seemed a little planned out. Some reports say that Tylee and JJ were witnesses to Charles' death. And this gives reason for Lori to need to get rid of them. Because if what Lori and Alex told police was not what actually happened, then Tylee and JJ are the only other ones who know that. Lori herself has stated different stories. One, she was in the car when she heard the gunshot. One, she was in the kitchen. And one, she even saw Charles's body. So she's all over the place with what happened that day. So here is the recording of the first part of the 911 call that Alex Cox placed after shooting Charles Vallow. 911, where is your emergency? It's at uh, 5531 South Four Peaks. I think it's Four Peaks Lane, I'm not sure. I'm sorry, you, say you don't know the direction? I don't know the, the street name, if it's a lane or court. It's 5531 East, though. Oh, yeah, or South. South Four Peaks. 5531 South Four Peaks in Chandler. Is that right? Yes. Do you need yes. police or paramedics? Uh, both. I'm in mean, police and an ambulance. What's the emergency there? Uh, there's a, I got in a fight with my brother-in-law and I shot him in self-defense. Okay. Let me get the medics on the phone. And is he hurt or is he alive? Or? Yeah, there's blood. He's he's not moving. How long ago did this happen? Uh, a couple of minutes. Fire department, what is the address of the emergency? 5531 South Four Peaks. And is that a house in Chandler? Yes. And your phone number, please? Four eight zero three five one nine one two zero. And just repeat the address to confirm it. Five five three one South Four Peaks. And what is the emergency? Um, uh, I I shot my brother-in-law. Okay, what part of his body is injured? Uh, in the chest. I'm sorry, where? In the chest. Okay, is he awake and responsive or unconscious? Unconscious. Okay, is he breathing? I can't tell. Are you wanting? Are you willing to go over to him and check? Sure. Okay, do you just let me know if you see his chest going up and down? How old is he? It's not moving. He's sixty. Okay. And are you wanting to start CPR? No, I don't know how to do that. I can walk you through it. Okay. 
And what I want you to do is you're going to put one hand in the center of his chest. Yep. The other hand's going to go right on top of it. Okay. You're going to interlock your fingers, keeping your arms straight, and you're going to press down hard and fast into his chest. You're going to go okay. two inches down and fairly quickly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Making sure his chest goes up between each compression. Where's the okay. bun now? Uh, it's in the other room. Okay. PD, we're going to stage for you. Okay, thank you. And just keep going with those compressions. Petey, did you have any other questions? Yes. What's your name, sir? My name is Alex. Last name is Cox. See you, Alex. Where are you in the house now? Uh, in the living room. And where is the gun? Uh, it's in a bedroom. Who else is there in the house with you? Uh, just me. Neighbors reported that Lori had a very loud pool party with music and lots of people. It seems very odd for someone whose husband just died, estranged or not. Someone just died in your home and you might have witnessed it? Why would you throw a pool party right away? Only a few days after Charles was killed, Lori Vallow reportedly called his insurance company asking about his $1 million life insurance policy. The company informed her that Charles had changed his beneficiary information and that she would not be receiving any money. So that is very suspect also because she called right after his death. So that had to, well, they didn't have to, that might have been a motive of some kind. And then she found out she didn't get any money that's hilarious to me because she basically screwed herself over and kind of glad she did. Hopefully she gets caught for all of it. Anyways, I will get into Lori's current husband in a few minutes incited by this because he thought he had a happy marriage. And then one day Melanie just walked in like, hey, I want a divorce. He was like, oh, all right. Melanie was then arrested for trespassing on Brandon's parents' property in American Fork, Utah. Melanie and Brandon's divorce was finalized, and temporary custody of the couple's four children was granted to Brandon, which Brandon now states that he's kind of trying to keep the kids and himself in hiding because Melanie seems to have the same radical beliefs as Lori, and, I mean, with everything that's been happening with Lori, I would be scared, too. Melanie then married Ian, Ian, oh my gosh, Ian Paulowski in Las Vegas on November 30th. So, she didn't waste time, either. He said Melanie and Lori are in a cult, quote, where numerous members, adults and children alike, have been killed off like flies end quote. Brandon believes Melanie and her uncle tried to murder him for his insurance policy. Someone shot at him in a jeep registered to Lori's deceased ex-husband, Charles Vallow. This was the jeep that Tylee had been driving prior to her disappearance, and no one's been charged in it, but it's believed that Alex Cox was the person driving and that he was the person that shot at Brandon. 
I read some places that Brandon reported it being a paintball gun and other places that it was a real gun, so I'm not sure on that. But either way, he was shot at. Alex Cox, Lori's brother, also moved with the family. Alex ended up finding a woman as well who was part of the Doomsday Cult and decided to marry her in Vegas. So we're drawing a lot of parallels to Melanie's story here. Well, about 10 or so days after they got married, Alex mysteriously died. Alex was, I believe, like 50 or like early 50s, and he was found unconscious on December 12, 2019 by Joseph Lopez. Lopez was Alex's new wife's son, so it's his stepson. And Lopez told police that Cox was his mother's boyfriend, but he didn't know him personally. So Joseph Lopez didn't even know they were married. That seems very odd. Anyway, Joseph called 911, and during this call, it's kind of strange. So I'm just going to let you listen to it and see what you think. 911, where is your emergency? Hi, I need an ambulance to... Yes. Why do you need an ambulance? Um, I have a, a older male, a middle-aged male. Um, um, he is breathing? Uh, yes, he's be- breathing, but very, very uh, high, highly breathing. Okay, let me, let me transfer you to Mesa, or the medics, do not hang out. Is it just due to a fire medical? What is the address of your emergency? Get over with it. Caller, are you on the line? Hello, is Hello? anyone there? Yes, this is it. Okay, you're at first. Yes, that's correct. Okay, what is the emergency? Um, I have uh, a older male here named Alex. He's, uh, he just passed out here on the, on my, on my bathroom. Okay, is he awake Are right now? I think he's passed out. Okay, you think he's unconscious? Yes. Okay, is he breathing normally, like you can see his chest rising and falling? Hello? I hope so. I have the paramedics on the way, but I need you to try to help me with some information while they're driving there to help him. Okay. Okay. How old is he? Uh, he seems to be at his 40s. Okay. Do you know him? No, it's my mother's boyfriend. Okay. And how old are you? I'm 25. Okay. I have the paramedics on the way, so he's in the restroom right now. Okay. Gilbert, can we get you started? I'm already in route. All right, thank you. Okay, is he on his back or on his stomach? Where is he at? He's on his side. Okay. Can you lay him flat on his back on the ground? Um, I'll try. Just There's feces there, and I'm trying to just keep cool right now. Um, you said he's what? There's feces on the ground. Okay. I know that's gross, but if we can just go ahead and get him flat on his back, I want to make sure he's right. breathing, because if he's not, we're going to do a few things. Gotcha. 
Did you say he's cool, like cold? Does he seem more awake or more asleep? He's more passed out. Okay, is he opening his eyes or moving at all? Breathing. Okay, is he breathing normally, like his chest is rising and falling? He's not making any weird sounds? Yeah, he's uh, making a very exhale sound like... Okay, if he's doing that, we need to start CPR, so I need you to get him flat on his back on the ground. Okay, I'll do that. Let me know when he's flat on his back, and we're going to give you instructions, okay? Okay. Uh. What is your first name? So shortly after this portion of the call, Joseph's mother, who was Alex's wife at the time, walked in and she started to perform CPR on Alex, but Alex sadly passed away a few minutes later. The autopsy is still pending, so the cause of death remains a mystery, but um, obviously autopsies don't take that long, so I assume police have the information, they're just not releasing it yet. A lot of people are connecting this to Lori as well. Maybe Alex knew too much and needed to be dealt with, just like the children and Charles, or something along those lines. That's a big theory right now. Before they moved, like literally the day before Lori and the kids moved to Idaho, Lori called the dog trainer that they got JJ's service dog through and said that he needed to pick up the dog now. The dog trainer was very confused because the dog had been doing its job. It was to help JJ focus when he needed to and help him not get scared. And apparently the first night they got him was the first night JJ spent like in his room all night. So he was helping a lot. And Charles and Lori had spent $7,000 on this dog. But Lori just said they were moving and they needed to get rid of it. That does not seem like something a caring mother would do. If your son needs this dog to help him, then a caring mother would keep the dog. When they got to Idaho is when Lori sent an email or letter, I was kind of confused on that, to JJ's school stating he would not be in school anymore because they moved. So it seemed like a very rushed move. Most people would figure out like school and changing things over and all that before they moved, not as a last thought. So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 US and DC. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited. Wireless headphones. That'll be $200. I'll use my Capital One Quicksilver card. Now that's a hit. You used the Capital One Quicksilver card, which makes you the hero of every purchase. 
With Quicksilver, you earn unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere. I wanted running music, but unlimited 1.5% cash back is pretty heroic. Good instincts. Every hero needs a theme song. The Capital One Quicksilver card. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Now I want to talk a little bit about the two missing children, which is the really important part in this case. The rest of this information is kind of just on the extremely odd family that they were in and reasons why they may be missing. So Tylee Ryan is 17 and she is JJ's sister and she has been missing since September. She is the daughter of the late Joseph Ryan and of course Lori Vallow. She was last seen at Yellowstone National Park with her mother and uncle on September 8th. Now this is kind of debated because there's really no last sighting of Tylee, but there are photos dating to September 8th, and they show Tylee alive, and this is seemingly the last bit of proof that she was alive. So this is kind of where police are going as her last sighting. A friend of Tylee's received a text from her saying, quote, Hi, miss you guys too, dot dot dot, love ya, end quote. The friend had sent a text on October 19th saying she missed Tylee and had been thinking about her. The friend said she has her doubts that Tylee was the one who wrote the text. Quoting, she spelled her words for the most part. Plus, she would have texted more if I reached out. End quote. The friend said via Facebook Messenger when asked if the text sounded like it had come from Tylee. So here the friend's saying like, no, this doesn't sound like Tylee. So a lot of people are thinking that it was Lori from Tylee's phone. And I believe at this time, Tylee's phone has been found. But there was another incident, and I don't have the dates written down because I literally just remembered this, but there is Venmo payments from Tylee's account to Cody's account, which is her older brother, two times in October, I believe, or late September, when she was already missing. And a lot of people believe this was Lori trying to make it look like Tylee was still alive or something along those lines. So JJ is an autistic seven-year-old who has also been missing since September. He is the adoptive son of Charles and Lori Vallow. They adopted him in 2013. JJ's biological grandmother, Kay Vallow Woodcock, who is Charles Vallow's sister, briefly spoke to him on FaceTime on August 10th. Kay requested police do a welfare check in September because she had not heard anything from her grandson in months. JJ was enrolled in school until September 23rd, so he was last seen on September 23rd, and then he was unenrolled September 24th. Lori told the school she would be homeschooling from now on, and this is also the day she told JJ's babysitter that her services were not needed anymore. JJ's medication that he needs daily has also not been filled in months, so things are looking kind of bleak for the situation. So we are finally on to Lori's fifth and current husband, Chad Daybell. Chad was, and I guess is, a devout Mormon, or so it seems, but he was really devoted to this doomsday cult that he kind of seems like the head of. 
Chad is the author of quite a few Latter-day Saints-oriented books. According to his website, Chad has worked in the publishing business for the past two decades and has written more than 25 books. He is also currently the president of Spring Creek Book Company, which he founded with his first wife, Tammy. This is the company that most of his books are published through. I actually purchased his first book this past week. It is called Living on the Edge of Heaven and talks about his two near-death experiences where he was apparently crossed into another dimension or something insane like that. And I, like, started reading it and I just, I couldn't. (laughs) So I wasted, like, $10, but I just, I couldn't keep reading it. It was ridiculous to me. So if you wanted to go read his books, I would advise against it because it's not worth it. His most famous books, and the ones that connected him to Lori, are a series called Standing in Holy Places. Lori's friends and family say she was so into these books, she was buying the sets for her friends and family. Like, you have to read these books, it's amazing, blah blah blah. Which really, it's like, supposed to be like a fiction LDS kind of book, I don't know. Here is the summary of the first book book. In the near future, Tad and Emma North and their children live in a United States that is growing increasingly wicked. The Norths and their extended family notice that many Latter-day Saints are being deceived by alluring temptations, and they wonder how much longer the Lord will allow American society to continue its downward spiral. Then comes an invitation from church leaders for the Saints to gather together. This invitation isn't well accepted and even openly mocked, but those faithful church members who trust in the Lord soon find themselves accomplishing monumental tasks. Join these humble yet heroic saints as they embark on an unprecedented journey to build New Jerusalem. The Great Gathering, the first novel in the Standing in Holy Places series, paints a vivid picture of exciting prophesied events that still must occur before the second coming. If you have an interest in what awaits the members of the LDS Church, this series could definitely be on your reading list. So, I don't know if, like, this is a fictional book with real or supposedly real prophesied events, but I was under the impression it was a fictional book. But Chad also thinks he can see the future, so maybe that's mixed in there too. Now let's get over to Chad's wife, Tammy. So Tammy married Chad March 9th, 1990 in Manti, Utah, and they had five children together. She was a school librarian at the time of her death. Tammy was supposedly shot at with what she thought was a paintball gun on the 9th of October, but nothing ever really came of it. It does sound weirdly similar to Brandon's encounter, though. And, obviously, we all suspect Chad and Lori of being the people who executed this idea. Tammy is found deceased in her home on October 19th, 2019. Chad stated that Tammy had a cough the night before and then just never woke up. It is reported that she was extremely healthy, though, so this seems very unlikely. It was originally assumed she passed peacefully in her sleep, 
but the investigation has been reopened due to new evidence. Tammy's body was exhumed and submitted for an autopsy on December 11th. Because when she died, Chad was like, no, we don't need an autopsy. And for some reason, her family agreed with that. So there was never any autopsy. So now there is one because they obviously suspect Chad of foul play. I believe the autopsy is finished, but the police are keeping it. And I firmly believe it'll point to Chad and or Lori in some way. So back to Chad, he claims to have a visionary gift and said that he has had two near-death experiences, which he did speak about in his podcast episodes with Lori Vallow. Chad's friend Julie Rowe told Fox 13 News that Chad's visionary gift helped him predict his wife Tammy's death. So that pretty convenient, right? I mean... If you're gonna kill someone, you obviously know they're gonna die. Julie said, quote, he was emotionally distraught. He was crying and said that his angels had told him that he was going to lose Tammy, end quote. I don't really know how much I believe that he was distraught because 11 days later, Chad and Lori got married and it is rumored that there was an affair. Like I stated before, that could be a reason that Lori decided to move to Idaho. Chad apparently told his parents and his ex-late wife's family that Lori had no juvenile children. He also told a witness that Tylee died in 2017 and it is said that Lori was telling people Tylee died before Charles and that she had no kids and that just seems very suspicious because she did have two kids we just don't know where they are right now. On the 26th of November a welfare check for JJ was done and Lori stated that he was in Arizona staying at a friend's but this was a lie. Over a week later, the friend called police to tell them Lori and Chad had asked her to lie about JJ's whereabouts, but of course she refused to lie for them. So, if you were wondering, like, how they confirm he wasn't down there, I'm assuming this is how. Chad and Alex lied to the police when they showed up for this welfare check. Detective Ball said, quote, Chad acted as if he didn't know Lori very well and stated he didn't know her phone number. Alex told the detectives that JJ was with his grandma, Kay Woodcock, in Louisiana, which was not likely to be true due to the fact that Kay was the individual who first called it a missing child report, end quote. So at this time, Chad and Lori were married. So how don't you know your wife's phone number and how don't you know her very well? It just, nothing added up here. So when police went back the next day, Chad and Lori were gone. The house was cleaned out and they were just gone. Um, I think they were missing for a month or so and then they were found in Hawaii. January 30th was the date set for Lori to produce the children in an Idaho court. She obviously missed that date. And more recently, Lori was arrested in Hawaii and charged with two felony counts of desertion and non-support of dependent children. She was also charged with resisting or obstructing officers, criminal solicitation to commit a crime, 
and contempt of court, willful disobedience of court process or order. She is being held on five million bail, and she had a hearing to try and lower that, and the judge said, no, we're not lowering that. So she waived her right to extradition, and she is set to appear in an Idaho court on Friday. So we really don't have to wait that long to get some more news, which is kind of nice. Now, one thing I forgot to mention within, like, this time is that after the kids went missing, I believe it was, like, October 1st, Lori opened a storage unit in Idaho. And at the time, no one really knew what was in the storage unit, but after a while, like, her card stopped going through, so it was legally abandoned and police could go into it. What they found was a lot of Tylee and JJ stuff, a lot of old, like, stuff from their room, a lot of old pictures, and that's never a good sign. There is security footage online of Lori carrying in stuff, and it looks like she's carrying in two bikes and a lot of kids stuff. And then there's security footage a little while later after Chad and Lori disappeared to Hawaii of supposedly Alex Cox and another man bringing stuff out of the storage unit. Now, when you look at the video, what they're carrying is obviously heavy, and there's a lot of speculation to what it is. It kind of looks like um, like a back car seat, like the back car seat, I guess, where there's the three seats, but it looks like that, but folded in half, like someone's carrying it. Other people say it looks like a big Rubbermaid tote with two legs hanging out of it. And that brings us to one of the big theories in this case. So one of the theories obviously is that the children are no longer alive. And it's really sad to say, but that's kind of what I'm leaning towards just because it seems like there's no way these kids have been hidden this long. And if they are alive, why would Lori not just show that so that she wasn't in jail, you know? So some people are saying maybe her and Chad killed the kids and put them in that storage unit. Then once they left to Hawaii, they had people get the bodies out of there and go bury them because that would kind of deflect suspicion away from them a little bit, I guess. Another theory is that, I mean, they never got to that storage unit. They were just killed and disposed of. So another theory I heard is that, so in the LDS church, excuse me if I'm wrong, but I think you like go on levels of how spiritual you are or how like holy you are or something. And since Chad and Lori believed they were both gods or reincarnations of very important people in this faith, maybe they could do no wrong. So maybe they killed the children because the children were not at that level yet and would not be saved if the world ended. So they believed the only way to save them was to kill them. If you get what I'm saying, kind of insane, but it would work in their minds. And yet an even weirder theory 
is that they are still alive, but they are in like an underground bunker or something. If the, if Chad and Lori, the parents, believe the world is going to end in this summer, then, I mean, it would make sense for them to put their kids in an underground bunker and try to protect them. And then that would make sense why they don't want to produce them because Child Protective Services would most likely take them and then they would not be protected or in a safe spot when the world ends. So like I said before, I am leaning towards the side of sadly these children are not alive anymore. Just because after a certain amount of time, the statistics show they probably aren't and just everything surrounding Lori and Chad and all the death and weird things going on just doesn't make me think these children are hiding out somewhere. I hope I'm totally wrong. I hope in court one of these days we find out that they are safe and they are fine because that would be amazing. I just don't know that that's going to happen. to hear what your theories are on this case or just anything on this case so if you are watching or listening to this on youtube you can comment or you can always send me a voice message or send me an email at thegreatunsolved at gmail.com remember to follow us on twitter at great unsolved and the new podcast at an underscore gone or on Instagram or anything. All the links will be up above, but I would really like to hear everyone's take on this case. I also post a lot about this case on Twitter and Instagram, so I will be posting as we learn new things. Hopefully, I will be able to give an update soon that something happened in this case and we know what happened to the kids or they were found alive. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Great Unsolved, and we will see you again next week with an all-new case. Mm -hmm.